Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. there was a podcaster sitting right in front of you, coughing and hacking, their throat parched, nearly sober, with no beer to quench their thirst. And what if, in their scratchy voice, told you that they haven't had an habanero mango-infused double IPA craft beer in over a week? What would you do? What if all you had to do was reach into your pocket and pull out 50 cents to eradicate thirst and soberness for one podcaster. Just 50 cents per day for a guilt-ridden 15 years until you summon the courage to stop automatic payments, finally understanding that little Carson won't ever know that the reason the coffee chocolate porter he enjoys so much stopped flowing because you couldn't figure 50 cents was too much out of your six-figure salary. Because those da dance lessons for little Jovi, whatever pretentious name you give your child, aren't going to pay for themselves. So go online and join Unibeer to make your monthly gift. Just 50 cents. You'll get those podcasters the critical beer they need. And if you call right now, Ryan Reynolds will match your gift, allowing each sponsored podcaster to receive a vintage beer comb and mustache, mustache wax. All in Jesus' name. So call now. Won't you please help? Did you say Unibeer or Unibrow? No, Unibeer. I was kind of riffing off that UNICEF thing. Like a UNICEF thing. thing. UNICEF. Actually, all I could think about was that Sarah McLachlan commercial <laughs> yes. where it's like the dog with one eye. And the arms of an angel. I don't think Jim we sang that right. Is... We might have made that more to like, I don't know, like a soulful version. I'm sure we sang it wrong, but Jim like Gaffigan makes uh, a really good joke about it. He's like, man, you watch that commercial and it's like the dogs are like, you know, Sarah, this is a little heavy handed. Like <laughs> there's still people starving around the world. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was good, Tom. That was but we know you hate creative. animals, Gabe. Yeah. And Tom, your, your soft voice, it was so soothing. I, I mean, like it just be bedtime must be just one of the most relaxing, non-problematic, like enjoyable experiences for your family as you put your, as you put your kids to bed. I was going for Dalton. I mean, did, did I did I get that or it was good? Nailed it, yeah. buddy. You nailed yeah. it. We're we're all proud of proud you. Proud of you. You know what? Let's give Tom a little clap. We'll give him enough, dude. Tom, we don't give you enough credit in this podcast. No, we don't. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. What, I think we're going to explain what that was all about here in a minute. We'll we'll get through all of our stuff. We haven't even told you. Hey, we're podcast pint glass oh, preachers. Pine glass like, preachers. Oh yeah, that's well, right. Well. If you're confused, welcome to yet another episode with no clarity and a lack of vision. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Um, we'll pro we promise that that this podcast will be somewhat organized, maybe. And so, uh, as usual, we'll get into our uh, what are we drinking. So, Josh, let's let's start with you and go there. So I, you know, I was in a bit of a funk today and I was wandering around. I, was, I wanted to get something special 
for tonight because mm. I value our friendship and I value the the intrigue, quite honestly, that I know so many of our listeners have about what delicacies that we've what local delicacies that we've found and are bringing to the conversation. And I went to this one brewery to get this new sour they had on tap. They were yeah. not open. Then I went. Do not give that look, Gabe. To sours me, are when gross, I sour. man. Do I don't care what anyone says. They're disgusting. Mm, I hate you so much. Uh, so then I went down to another grocery store and I wandered through the beer aisles and still, you know, nothing really caught my attention. So I just kind of sulked my way out. You know, people looking at me like, do we need to call security? Did he try to pocket something? Is he just creeping? Because like he didn't buy anything. He's just leaving after 30 minutes. You know what I mean? So long story short, I made it home. And a while ago, I picked up this, this mountain whiskey. All right. I'm sure you've heard of it, Tom. Uh, tin cup. Okay. Ooh, very nice. Tin cup. Ooh. Some straight rye whiskey and the reason i bought it um was because kind of like the mountainous water that just gives you a refreshing coors light this <laughs> bourbon is also touted as using fresh rocky mountain water and so i was like you know what i'm gonna give it a shot because i if, if i don't like the taste of the rockies when i got my coors or coors light then yeah. will or will I not like the taste of the Rockies in my tin cup? Yeah, do you just hate Coors or do you hate the Rockies? That's big. No, That's just, no, 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 no. Yeah, let me clear this up. Okay, Coors Light is the only beer, and this is a true story. Coors Light is the only beer that I've ever snuck away and dumped down a toilet, only to return so I wouldn't have to drink it. What about Steel Reserve? You like that? Never Steel had Steel Reserve, <laughs> but that would have been poured outside. Okay, so my father really likes Steel Reserve, and he Wait, like it genuinely. All... Yes, and I have come to like it too. Oh because... no! No, oh because gosh. Janet, I don't. Janet, if don't... you are listening to this episode, we need it. We are Gabe and I are He's requesting an intervention, an intervention yeah. with Jeez your Louise. husband and your son Tom. And you know what? I don't know about Brian, but Lord knows he needs an intervention too. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh Brian's actually on the phone. He's coming right here. Let me ask him. Let me ask him. Brian, we are we are on Pine Glass Preachers right now. And the question about steel reserve beer, the the beer that dad drinks, do you like it? Speak loudly. Um like C minus. C minus from Brian O'Neill. That's a That's passing, passing grade, That's Professor O'Neill. I said that I like it because dad's been drinking it forever and I drink it when we're there for Christmas and holidays and things like Disgusting. that. So it's become more of a, a nostalgic thing for me. Yeah, so. a plastic Ew. bottle, kind of like a large uh, diet cola. Yeah. All right. You've heard it, or maybe you didn't hear it, but Brian said it was passable, a C plus, C minus. I don't Janet, know. intervention with all the men in your life. You got to get on this, girl. Come on, Janet, please. For the love of hot dish. Yeah, this podcast, we Brian, as you know, we are on what are you drinking? And it's already off the rails. So yeah. I'm answering phone calls in the middle of this thing. So. OK, we're moving along. All right, uh, moving along. Gabe, Our four listeners are going to be very disappointed. Yes, Gabe, I'm drinking, drinking tonight uh, Bombay Sapphire. Um, you know, typically, if you go to a bar and order GNT, the Coors Light of gin, it's exactly right. This will be the well that you will get. Uh, and, you know, so it's nothing to write home about, but. It's all I have in my house right now because Costco was out of Kirkland's finest. Unbelievable. So here I am, Bombay ended up. Tom, what about you? I, I, 
So help it's me. Like if it's you... a steel reserve, the show is over. Oh, we're I, I'm I'm hanging I up. You'd... I'm literally going to stop the recording of the steel reserve. I thought you'd never ask. I uh, my beautiful wife got me this great uh, mixology book for Christmas to make even more pretentious drinks that I can bring to this these episodes. And one of our favorites lately is called a campfire old fashioned. And so it is. Please tell us about it. We're all very interested. You take, you take a shot of whiskey and chew on a stick that had been sitting in the fire for three nights. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Squeeze the essence of a marshmallow. Let it ride in the back of a truck with graham crackers. In no, it. no. You lightly <laughs> crumble the graham crackers, and that's like you. You instead of a you know salt on a tequila or on a margarita rim, it's like yes. a graham crack crumbled graham cracker rim crapper. No, 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 no. Jeez. You, all right, you continue have, with your boring cocktail. Sorry, Tom. You have your bitters like normal. You have your simple syrup like normal. You do some bourbon. You do some rye. So so far, everything good. And just a little bit of peaty scotch there and is. a little bit of dollop of Ancho Reyes uh, chili liqueur, which gives it a little bit of heat. Wow. A dollop? Amazing. Is, this, is this Cool Whip? Like Is this a dollop of daisy? Some sour yeah. cream? No, no, just oh, like a little oh, well played. A dollop of daisy. Well played, Gabe. That's Thank it. you. Tom, That's but... It. A sincere question. Okay, normally like a cocktail, when people think about cocktails, right, has like actual mixers in it. What you just described is basically a Long Island of like bourbons and ancho chili tequilas just put in a glass. So basically you're just dumping a bunch of booze into a cup. No, Joshua. See, what you just did. Except for bitters. Okay, I understand the bitters. No, no, no. You just showed your ignorance here. A mixed drink is a gin and tonic, a rum and coke. It's alcohol with a mixer, whether it's juice, soda, club soda, tonic, whatever. That's a mixed drink. A cocktail is typically only liqueurs and then your simple syrups or bitters or things like that. So a Manhattan, an old fashioned, uh, you know, any any of these fancy drinks so when you go out and it's got cucumber infused. A Sazerac. Fair, fair a enough. Sazerac. Fair enough, Tom. You know what? That's enough shame. That's enough cocktail shame to heap upon me right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, friends, uh, we tonight are uh, done talking about drinks and instead going to shift our conversation to missions. Um, and uh, you may be like, I don't care about that, but uh, we want yes, you to. you do, and you're going to. M-I-S-S-I-O-N-S. Well, here's the deal. I'm going to I'm gonna make this case, and then we'll go to break in a second, uh, and we'll explain kind of why we're having this conversation. But I, I think one of the things that's interesting in our culture is there's this sort of uh, apprehension towards um, evangelism or towards um, – that's what I'm looking for. It starts with a P. Um, proselytizing. Proselytizing, right? People are like, hey, don't proselytize me. Don't evangelize to me. When the reality is everyone evangelizes all the time. Everyone proselytizes all the time about everything. And so I'm always just like, why? Uh, we all do it all the time. Let's just be honest about that. It may not be about God. It might be about your sports team or exactly. the product you just bought or whatever. Or about science. Exactly. Or your political party or whatever. But like we all do. And so Christians, when it comes to evangelism, like we're, yeah, we proselytize because we think we actually have good news. Uh, where things get interesting is what does that look like cross-culturally and uh, how do we do that in healthy ways? How do we do that in unhealthy ways? And historically, what's that meant and what does it mean now? And so we kind of want to dig into that because uh, we think it's important. So friends, we, we hope you can hang with us. Tom, please. 
Yeah, and I'll say for those of you who have hung on for these four or five years or however long we've been doing this and have listened to every episode, you'll know that we we touched on this topic pretty significantly like back when we were babies in our third episode or something like that. And that's fine. I mean, it's it, it's time to talk about it again. I think we're talking about it in, in different contexts and different scope. Uh, we're in a much different place as a country, a, as a world than we were four or five years ago. Um, and I also think you're probably going to get a little bit more nuanced uh, approach to this as well. So uh, I think it's going to be a good conversation uh, based on, you know, stuff that Josh throws us every once in a while, throw a grenade into our conversations. So it's my yeah. favorite thing to do. So we're going to take a break and we'll catch you on the other side. Welcome back to Pine Class Preachers. Uh, I need to apologize. Uh, I know I just went through a very long uh, thing about another drink that you may or may not want to try. And um, I would be remiss to to not mention, I, I mean, I totally forgot. When you do the campfire cocktail, you got to put a little bit of an orange uh, twist on there. So you're going to want to just take your a little knife and take off just a little piece of that and just just put that in because that's what really brings out a lot of the flavors, guys. You have to do the little orange twist, you know, a little bit of the peel, squeeze a little bit to get the the, the oils. Yeah, it's going to be great. So I can't even right. tell if you're serious. Are you serious? He's serious. No, I am serious. The orange peel actually does bring out a lot of the flavors. Good so. Lord, Tom, get a life. All right. <laughs> Tom, do you have a special peeler to do the orange peel or do you use your regular like vegetable peeler or just an, a sharp knife? Uh, vegetable peeler or a sharp knife, yes. I feel like you need to get a cocktail peeler. Yeah. I, I probably should. Right? You know what? I'm going to buy you. You know what? I'm putting this out on public record on Pine Glass Preachers. By the time we record next, I will have purchased Tom a cocktail peeler. Yes. Wow. You heard it here first, folks. You I mean, heard and it I am here. a man of my word. So. You know what? I will say this. For all your many faults, Josh, you are. Uh, you are a man of your word. I, I genuinely believe you're going to do and this. And he's a very generous individual, too, because. That's uh, also true. He. He, he was the one who gave me my very first pair of rainbow sandals. And, oh, I did uh, do that. I know, still rocking them. So, ah, uh, yes. See, I mean, not the same pair. I actually broke them last summer and got a new pair. That's but. okay, man. That that happens. It's the life cycle of the rainbows. Yeah, I know. And then I had to spend a month like hating the sandals I was wearing because right. they would break in right away. That's right. Um, okay, important things. All right, important here. things. Listeners, you should know this by now. Okay, if we're like getting nostalgic, talking about early episodes, being babies, I don't know why you made that reference, Tom, is really weird. Um, I yes. mean, you still have the same amount of hair on your you body like as, a, as a newborn. when we started this. Okay, so. well, anyway, 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 to, to wrap into this nostalgic sort of, I don't know, environment that we've created for this episode, we're back in the womb of, of PGP. I'm curling myself back into the womb here. Um, if there's one thing that you know by now, it's that one of my favorite things to do with Tom and with Gabe and even with our previous guest, one Pastor Marcus J. Lane, is simply to find articles, find quotes, 
or to even come up with ideas just in my own mind that are intentionally ridiculous, provocative, and will send us down the most obnoxious rabbit holes of text message discussion, sometimes for days on end, all right? Sometimes interruptive of our work, and this is no different. So I came across this article by Ivan Illich, who is was a Catholic priest. Um, he was a social critic. He was a philosopher. Did a lot of writing uh, back in the 60s and the 70s, um, particularly around um, the intersection of Catholicism and the way it was functioning kind of in the in the world and, and in his context in the Latin and, and kind of South American arena. And this article essentially just lays out this very straight-up scathing critique of missiology, particularly from Americans and people in the West. So we'll say Western Europeans and Americans. Time out. Can, can, you tell us, can you tell us what missiology is for all of us who aren't pastors in the group, which is, I don't know, 99% of the people who listen to this except for Dej? <laughs> At a principle alone, Tom... Missiology, okay, is the study and then practice of mission, of, in particular, the great commission of Jesus Christ that says, go out into all of the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when I talk about missiology, no, it was not that hard, okay? Not that hard. So when I say the word missiology... What I'm referring to is not only the study and formation, but the practice of what the church has always embodied, uh, to go back to what Gabe said earlier, which is to share this good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and all the benefits that come with being baptized into not only his name, but the name of the Father and the Spirit as well, and being members, children, heirs, and co-heirs in the kingdom of God, all right? And we've seen this play out literally from the very first days of the church when they actually went to not only Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria. And I mean, Matthew, in, in all historical records, made it to India. You know what I'm saying? So like Thomas, Thomas. Oh, Thomas. I went to where he's buried. Oh, did you really? Yeah, it's pretty Man, dope. I'm, I'm jonesing for some Indian food right now, by the way. Anyway, um... My bad. So you know the expertise that I now have in missiology that I got Matthew and Thomas mixed up. But in any case, it's looking at the way the church has gone about the work of spreading the gospel. Evangelism, proselytization, prior to that being a bad word in our you know, particular con- uh, cultural context. All right, so that's what missiology is. Are we good? We're good. Right. We're so you. good. So Ivan Illich, um, I don't know why I'm saying it, his name like that. I know he's Austrian. I like, but like it. He lived the majority of his life in in Latin America, or as served the majority of his priesthood in Latin America. So he basically offers this scathing critique, and he really it's a no holds bar kind of thing, where he's just like, "Hey, it would be better if you just served the poor and the hungry in America instead of bringing all your capitalistic paternalism down to where we're at." So thanks, but no thanks. Keep kicking Buzz in the off. crib. Buzz off. Go home. Just let us do our thing. So as you can imagine, this ruffled some feathers. It ruffled Tom's feathers because he likes to bring hot dogs down to Chile. It ruffled <laughs> Gabe's feathers because he's been to Thomas's burial site in India. You know? I have. And on it, a mission trip, incidentally. On a mission trip. On, and, and, and I myself have been on many, many short-term mission trips as well. So 
Uh, this is what's up for discussion. This is what kind of sparked the entire conversation in the first place was this scathing critique that I knew would get under their skin and piss them off, but bring us all to a wonderful place of, well, mutual accountability. Iron sharpens iron, so, people. So I want, I want to do some level setting too here. So first of all, this article that was written was in 1968, which I think it is relevant to the conversation. And we'll get into that in a minute. Um, I think a couple of the things that we want to talk about too is the difference between uh, when we say mission trip, which the primary purpose would be to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, theoretically. Even though, huh? The theoretically. Theoretically. And then there's the other half of, of trips, which would fall under the international care or, you know, just care missions, right? Uh, humanitarian or, care. Humanitarian care. Yeah. Huma uh, and a lot of times, if you're if you're drawing yourself, if you love yourself, some Venn diagrams, th those two circles are going to overlap in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so, uh, so we're going to be talking about this discussion from kind of both points of view. Uh, so maybe maybe we start there. Yes. I, well, I also want to add one more. Oh, go ahead, go ahead Josh. No. Okay. Well, I want to add one more distinction. Is like, we'll try and be clear as we talk, but like. There is definitely a distinction in my mind, and well, I think anyone with a brain, uh, between short-term missions, right? So this is like mm. college student, high school student, or your do-gooder adult spending two weeks or a week. Cargo pants. Cargo pants <laughs> doing something in in the develop the, the two-thirds world uh, versus like full-time missions, like people who are like, hey, these people – the 1040 window don't know who Jesus is. And so we're going to spend our entire lives dedicated to this group of people uh, advancing the gospel. Right. So like that's missionaries. These are true missionaries where this is their life's work versus a do-gooder college kid for two weeks building a house. Right. So, so short-term missions is the, the two weeks or the week, or even up to like a month or six months, frankly, that's short-term. People that, that give their careers to this, that's a different conversation. And we may we may likely touch on that, but I want to highlight those distinctions. Yeah, and by and large, we'll be focusing not on the long-term, lifelong missionary endeavors of an individual or a family, but specifically this critique was kind of laid out against that short-term mission context. So thanks for making that distinction, Gabe. Even, even, uh, Ivan Illich, that's his name? Ivan Illich. Ivan Illich. I mean – he is a long-term missionary, right? He's Austrian in Latin America, right? So, like, well, I mean, he, yes, kind of, but with with the Catholic Church, they just send their priests wherever they're going to send them. So it's not as if he said, "I want to be a missionary to Latin America." It was more like, "Oh, you're an ordained priest in the Catholic Church now. We're going to send you to a parish in Santo Domingo or something." Sure, but but it did end up being a cross-cultural, like, 100%. movement, right? right? So, like that right. that's an important thing to recognize, which is absolutely phenomenal that his critique is coming from someone who is literally doing what he's saying don't do but right but i think to, to to gabe's point what we tend to see is that long term especially lifelong missionaries or people who have been the spent a significant portion so i don't, I don't know 20 plus years i don't know is that mm -hmm. fair should we do 10 plus years 15 25 it doesn't matter longer okay, five. Than okay. Yeah. who have spent yeah. significant amounts of their life right in one place um, it is just anthropologically speaking, as well as sociologically speaking, and I think religious and spirit and theologically speaking, 
there there comes a sense of solidarity and affinity with the people that then actually undermines perhaps the previous behaviors, temptations, or assumptions of what short terms short term missions offers. Right. So right. I would actually say he's probably not in the same camp as like your short term mission. It's probably not undermining his own critique by the fact that he spent this much time, this amount of his life in this particular place, developing sincere and and or sincere relationships rooted in true like actual solidarity and an affinity of sure but what you know challenges what if he had read his article six months into his being being placed there i guess i'm going home because somebody told me the distinction would be like he knew that was going to be his primary residence like home for him that was his home that's what home was now right so like i think it's like a full-time and maybe there's a way to think about it is a full-time missionary understands their home as their missional context in a cross-cultural context. You know what I'm saying? Versus someone who's like, yeah, home is Detroit. Well, and I would, I happen to be in Santiago. Yeah. And I think an additional component to this is that the, the long-term missionary is going to understand the nuance of their positionality. So for example, I often would equate the beginnings uh, in, in order to convey to people who were either following along or who I was seeking to recruit as financial partners in the planting of Bridge City community, I would actually employ missionary language. So I would tell them that, hey, even though I'm not a missionary in Ecuador or in Ghana or in Lebanon, you know, or Japan or something like that, um, in a lot of ways, I'm embodying these long-term ideals and goals of a missionary within our domestic borders, Right. And so the way that I would communicate that with communicate that to them was to say, like, hey, we have these 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 um, uh, we've got these constructs. We can understand exactly what you just said, Gabe. Right. And what we've kind of already touched on about long term missionaries. And we've got also the context to understand hyper local mission endeavors. So like your food kitchen, handing out gospel tracts on the corner. Right. We've got that the homeless shelter. Right. But what we were trying to embody is, is kind of the middle ground. And a question was raised by a seminarian very early on, which was like, oh, well, if you're being genuine, Josh, then you should move into the actual neighborhood in South Chattanooga. But what I had to explain to them was I understood the nuance that was surrounding the planting of our church and said, even if I moved into the projects, I could still get out whenever I wanted. I still had more money, even on a meager pastor salary, than anyone there, Right. And I still had job security where I could take another call and leave at any moment in time and not really have a care in the world, right? So I think that like it's not just simply moving in and being like, okay, I'm going to adopt this culture. I'm going to speak this language. But you're really picking up and learning and being able to, to exegete or to interpret the nuance surrounding the community itself. Whereas with your short-term mission trips, typically that's not usually the case because a geographical destination is identified. A local partner is perhaps solidified. And then you're kind of like, hey, everyone, make sure you get these vaccinations. Make sure you get these booster shots. Bring some diarrhea medicine and get a malaria shot. And make sure you've got your cargo shorts and your breathable, uh, you know, outdoor fishing shirt on because things are going to get real. First of all, fishing shirts are amazingly comfortable. Uh, I had a friend who insisted on wearing them all the time. At any rate, secondly, let's like... Like, I think we need to get into, like, the meat of the article. All right, so, okay. Ivan Illich, like, we've teased this out. He's basically like, quit sending people here. Why does he say that? 
so there was a couple, there's a couple things, you know, Josh talked about ruffling feathers and, and we'll, we'll kind of dive into it. So his first comment, his first comment was, look, you have poor and you have just as many people in America that need to hear the, the, uh, the story of Jesus and, and need to understand his, his, uh, his saving grace for you and all this kind of stuff. So like, stop coming down to us. Like we're the ones who need it when you guys need it just as much. And that's a valid critique. I, I, I will understand. I, like, that's fine. But as someone who's lived in the nonprofit world, who's worked in the nonprofit world, who has fundraised in the nonprofit world, uh, I was a fundraiser for a Feeding America affiliated food bank. And there were some people who I could not get to give money to us because they valued something else more. They, they had a passion for something else more. So, and I will use myself as an example. I'm sorry, I, for some reason, I care about the children more in Peru than I do in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a real good reason for that other than I do. And there are reasons why people will give money to the local police department or sports group or Lions Club. Feeding America or this or this or this, because maybe they had an experience with it in the past or whatever. So that's my answer to him of like, I, yes, I understand. We could, we could just close up the borders and do all of our fundraising here. Right. Yeah. So critique number one from Ivan Illich is, Hey, you got your own problems. You got mm -hmm. your own people that are in need and you have your own people who are in need of the gospel. So people who have physical needs, people who have spiritual needs, you have that in your country, focus on that. So that's critique number one. Yep. What's critique number two? Critique number two is the baggage that these groups and these individuals bring with them that aren't their physical suitcases. So we're talking the baggage, the historical baggage of paternalism, the historical baggage of a colonial kind of mindset. And well, actually, let me break these down. Sorry, before Tom once again tries to shame me or low-key flex on me. Okay, so like the baggage of paternalism would be saying that, hey, we have what's good, what's right. You, We have uh, excess, you, ha you are lacking. And so therefore we have what you need and we're gonna determine what you need. And therefore we're gonna bring it and just give it to you because we know best, right? Then there's a baggage of colonialism that would basically say like, hey, look at our successes. Uh, literally, you're living in savagery without us and apart from us. And so we're going to bring you education. We're going to bring you infrastructure. We're going to bring you democracy, you know, and all of these other like lofty and high ideals um, that we value. Uh, and, and most are really, really great, right, in the West. Um, and so the second critique is without doing a thorough self-examination and without doing sincere introspection on the impetus or the desire to, to come to these places, what ends up happening is that these, these short-term mission groups and these individuals who consider themselves missionaries end up bringing this baggage with them. And when they leave, it's as if they're leaving a bunch of trash behind them that needs to be somehow sorted through and cleaned up by the local populace uh, with really no context, no explanation, and and truly no lasting partnership. Yeah. So, and I mean, maybe this is just the way this episode is going to go. Is we'll, we'll talk about this, and then there'll be rebuttal. But like, the thing that bothers me about that is, first of all, this article was written in 1968, and I think we can all agree, well, at least the three of us can agree because we've we've studied this and we and we've been part of it. Uh, 
The church has been really bad at this. People have been very bad at this. Part of it is just because we're sinful people and, you know, nobody's really good at this all the time, right? But there's been a lot of things that have perpetuated really poor missions over the years. I'd like to say I've met a lot of people. I've literally talked to people who have written the book about short-term missions. I have been trained by these people. And I think that... Bob Skidari? Yeah, Bob Skidari. No, wonderful man named Wayne Sneed. Like, we've gotten better at this. Yeah. You know, it's we're not still going... Like, yes, there are still people going down there saying... I'm, I'm rich and I've got time and I can make your life better because my life is like our way of life is better than yours. And let yeah. me show you how to do it. There are still people who are doing that and that's too bad. Well, I guess there it, are... it, it raises the question though, like how we define, and, and I'm, I'm asking this because I don't think we've actually discussed this in our, somehow this got missed, how we define we're doing better, right? Because the way that you and I have talked about it, Tom, the way that you do it in your trips to Peru, I would say mm -hmm. is a better way of doing it. The way that Gabe does it with his church is a better way of doing it, right? Mm -hmm. But I still see at least my social media feed every summer flooded with like people that seem to be in very self-serving photographs. All right, let me, let me, yeah, yeah. So let me add like some color to what you guys are talking about for the good listener. Um, like, so what, like an example would be this, like, I've heard this story of a dude who lived in Southern California uh, and like all people from California it was terrible. And terribly amazing. Um, he amazing. Like, uh, yeah. He's like, Oh my gosh, there's these poor kids in Mexico. Just, you know, for him, what 70 miles away. And so he's like, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to just give them joy and excitement. And I'm just going to help them see this. And so he drives down and gives them a bunch of chocolate. And these kids just like are so excited because chocolate's awesome. And they, eat it and they barf because they just consume a ton of it from this guy who's like i just want to bring them joy i just want them to be excited so here's some candy and like they get sick and he thinks he's doing this good thing but they're getting sick because like no one should eat that much chocolate right so like that's like a just a small example or like there's other examples of like the more the more advanced example is we're going to go down and we're going to build a house like we know how to build a house even though that kind of house doesn't doesn't work in that climate or right. you know we're going to build this well for you but we're not going to teach you like how to use the machinery or if it breaks how to fix it you right. know well, or there's stories of like people in in uh, african countries where like oh the americans want to come again they're going to want to do something let's make this wall look like crap so they'll paint it like i like and uh, like that's not being pejorative towards the people that did that it's like we just what else we're going to have them do Right, and, yep. and, I, and I think just to add some more texture and nuance and, and some layers to the color, so to add some more colors to the spectrum uh, that Gabe is so wonderfully posited to us, um, is also then I think part of the, the darker sinfully human nature that, that, eri that arises out of this oftentimes is that that kind of thing then creates resentment, right, between – the the, right. the people's being visited and the people's who are doing the visiting. So like I've been on mission, I've been in the presence of short-term mission trips, both locally in my own neighborhood, as well as overseas, where then, so say the, we'll say the Africans, right, who they need a wall painted or something, right? Yeah. And they're just standing and watching because they're like, we knew they were coming, we jacked up this wall, or we said this old lady needs a house, but we're, we don't actually want to like build this thing. 
right? Because we know these white people want to come through and build it themselves. So we're just going to let them do their thing. So then while we're stomping in the mud, making the mortar essentially for what's going to be the, the outside of the house, what is being vocalized by some of the people in the mission? Oh, we're doing all this work. They're yeah. not even, like, we're here to help them, and they're not even going to help us help them. You know what I mean? And so I think that, like, a lot of times what com- what is compounded in these situations. And, and then for the African becomes, like, do they not think we don't know how to build our own houses? Right, yeah, right, right. Like, right. Yeah, exactly. And so I think what ends up happening is, is is this very unresolved and, by and large, very unacknowledged tension that exists. And it goes, uh, you know, t- and then it's carried back. Well, it's either left there for those who still live there. And then it's carried back by these mission teams being like, well, I think I felt good about that. But, like, I can't believe they weren't willing to help out. And it just creates, like, a, a hot mess of missiology, basically. But so every every time I hear that character of a story, which I understand exists, right, I can, I can, I can, I'll match you toe for toe with... Yeah. With a story of, you know what, we have a an organization down there that is already working with with orphan or with with disabled adults. Um, we have a bunch of doctors up here who would like to go and help people abroad. So we partnered with them and we asked them, hey, what what actually needs to be done? We're not interested in painting a wall if it if a wall doesn't need to be painted. Like what needs to be done? Right. And then they tell us. And even though it didn't meet our criteria of like, oh, we're not like that doesn't sound like the big awesome trip we had planned and okay that's what they tell us they need we're gonna go down there and we're gonna do it and we're gonna do it their way and you want to know something we're not gonna totally take over because we don't want to take away jobs from the people standing on the side of the road who are looking for jobs so we're not gonna do the work we're gonna come so I like I can meet you with every no, story but, you tell but, me but that's not what I'm saying that it goes back to my question how are we defining doing better right is right. it that the majority of are doing what you said Tom or is the majority still behaving in a way that's problematic? That That's all I'm asking and, and really posing to you so, guys is at, how are we assessing if we're truly doing that much better than 1961 or 1968? So there's two things there. Doing better between 1968 and now, I'm talking in terms of I believe we are approaching short-term missions now a lot better than than collectively we were in 1968. Yeah, no, I agree with Tom. But collectively, but, well, see, this is what's fascinating because I've been on the receiving end of the negative, like in Chattanooga, a church literally 10 miles up the road acting like damn fools coming down to the south side. So like this is where I'm pushing back and saying – I don't know if I'd be willing to say collectively that Chris, Western American Christendom is by and large doing better yeah. overall. Because once again, my social media feed, I can pull it up and I don't even have that many. I'm not even following that many people. When summertime rolls around, the same pictures are showing up. Yeah, but Josh, I have those same pictures, but like you don't know the story behind all That's of right. that. That's right. Okay. I've, I've got all a right, picture. So, with three little brown kids and I know all their names and I've played collectively 200 hours of soccer with them because that's what they wanted to do with me. They just like, I built a relationship and guess so what? Raises I, knew the them question. For three, I knew them for three years ago that's because funny. when I was down there before and then they're like, Holy crap, Tom's back. Right. Let's okay. So let me ask you this. So it raised it. This is, it raises a very sincere question. Then if, if that's the case, why is that photo being posted? Why, if you're, if, 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 let's just, let's make the assumption that the auspices of, of the visit are completely genuine. They're wholeheartedly gospel focused. All right. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing. Then why are we throwing pictures that are going to be whether we want that? So the, 
this is but a question of I would, I would ask you, Josh, why no. are you always looking at it in the negative? No, no. What I'm saying is, it, listen, if by and large, the missiological narrative is one of paternalism and colonialism, okay, that we're trying to overcome, like that's the enemy, right? And sure. by and large, the photographic evidence of those behaviors is white person with three little brown kids or like serving food to a bunch of poor people in Africa or whatever, right? So mm -hmm. maybe part of our solution of trying to at least shift the narrative and say we're doing better is not putting those photos on our social media feeds while we're there in the first place. Yeah, but Josh, here's the thing, man. Here's where I'm like, like you can't judge the missiological intent of an organization or a church based on some 18 year old kid wanting to show his friends he had a cool time on a mission trip. Like I, there's like a structure to this. Or like not even my, a cool time, an impactful time. Right. Or for them, they found impactful. Like that's me is like, if, if I think about like, like actually, so Tom and I work together with the same missions organization. Actually, in many ways, Tom has shaped me in terms of short-term missiology. Uh -huh. And, and so like, I think about like, you know, Tom and my wife, Melissa and I like would lead trips to uh, Lima, Peru to work with this orphanage and we'd lead college students. Like now we did this 10 years ago. So it's like different, but like if we were to lead them right now, hundred percent guarantee that every 19 year old who's on that trip with us is going to post a picture of them working with some like, you know, orphan kid in Peru, which is like, fine. You can get like salty about that. But the reality is I know missiologically this is not set up paternalistically that we're actually going to support the work that's being done there so, already. We're literally sure, learning sure, but, from but the people who are there. What I'm saying is the intent, there. the intent is different from the, the intentionality right behind the actual trip is not being conveyed through the because impact it, of those photos. And so my question is what well, would fine, be the harm? Because, what would be, be the harm? Hold on. What would be the harm as a leader of a short-term mission trip saying, Here's the baggage that we're bringing, whether we want to acknowledge it or, or whether we want it or not, and saying, you know what? Because guess what? There are rules, right? For anyone who's been on a short-term mission trip, there are rules that are laid out prior to going on that trip. Hey, I'm also suspicious of how much baggage there is. I'll say that. I'm all right because because Josh, there's only 140 characters, and I can't convey in the 140 characters. You know what? We spent. 17 hours talking about how we were going to be that this is a cross-cultural trip it's not us just bringing down our stuff right. that this is truly an opportunity to learn about other cultures and other people and you know what i found out they're not so different than i am anyway and you know what they have it a lot better than i do in a lot of ways and also this is a person that You're i met made, but that's but that's proving my point don't do, do it in 100... 140 characters or an Instagram story. Do that when you get home and you can share a 30-minute story with your but congregation. That, and I'm telling you, that happens. That happens, happens too. Exactly. But, but, oh we live in a That's what I'm saying. No, listen. We, this, this is what this is what. I'm, no, but see, we, we live in a culture where we post everything. We post and how often? But listen, how often have both you and Gabe and myself railed against that culture and said it's actually disruptive to Christian identity? That's what I'm saying. It's idolatrous. We've said, uh, I don't know. In, we we haven't life, had those. We haven't had those conversations where we've in, said that this that this constant self promotion isn't detrimental to Christian spirituality. I'm not saying it's I, not. I'm saying like it's not like at the foot of short term missions because a 19 year old posts a picture of what they're doing. Like that's just like life, man. Like I I don't know. 
what you want from that. Like it doesn't like I would in say one sense, that I, what I want uh, and this is what I would actually propose that in the same way when we prepare if we've led a short-term mission trip and we prepare our people in a lot of ways, right? We prepare them with diarrhea medicine. We tell them, "Hey, when you're you don't say if, diarrhea, this is a family-friendly podcast." Oh yeah, sorry. We prepare them with uh <laughs> what's what's the what's the proper term for diarrhea medicine? Anti, no, that's anti-diarrheals. Anyway, so like when you're going to India, right? What's one thing you tell your people about the water? Don't drink it. Don't drink the water because your stomach's not going to be accustomed to it, right? So bring bottled water. Is that in and of itself a bad thing? Or is it like being pejorative against like the people of India? No, right? So like what would be the harm? What would be an actual detriment to the trip? To tell the 19-year-old, the same way we tell them when they come in a youth group, the 16-year-old youth group, be like, hey, put your phone down, put it in the ba- the phone basket for the next hour and a half so we can yeah. unplug on this. What would be the detriment to saying, hey, you know what? Maybe this posting is actually propping up a narrative that we're trying to dismantle in a in a really positive way in dealing with short-term missions. Like, I think the- part of what I'm saying, though, Josh, is like that – you're right. Like that's fine. Like, And I think that actually does fit. Like I think that could happen. I can see that happening. What I'm saying is, like, I'm not so sure that posting the picture is actually that bad. Like, and I'm not so sure it's propping up this narrative you're proposing. Like, that that would be my argument is, like, I mean, it depends, I suppose, what they say. But, like, I would say historic- it's like, hey, look, I'm part of the global church. That's a good narrative. I want people telling that story. Right. I will, I would say, and this is not for this conversation, um, we have a historical precedent set of narratives created that we're, I think, unfortunately continuing to propagate that set up. I mean, see, and I think it's similar use to Sepikator there, man. Like simultaneously saying center. Like, yes, that historical narrative exists of like white man coming in to save these foolish people who don't know like what we do in enlightenment culture. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Boo. I'm against that bad news. And dude, like always alongside that. I mean, always alongside that we have people who legitimately like love the people they were with. We're extending the kingdom of God. We're doing legitimate things. And and to be like, we shouldn't celebrate that. We should acknowledge that because no, it'll probably see that's not what I'm saying. Things. I'm not saying like, we should celebrate nonsense, or acknowledge dude. it. We need to be cognitively aware. Yeah, fine. We need to be but aware. like we still celebrate it. Like that's it. Like, but this but just see, ends the, up in this like this negation, is where negation, this is where negation. This is no, this is where I think we're talking past each other. Tell me right up, because because I work with 19 year olds too. Tell me straight up that you can say with 100% integrity that you truly believe that the 18 and 19 year old posting that photo with the little poor kid that they're feeding is because they're they're like proposed that they're putting forth that this is for the sake of the gospel. Come yeah, on, man. What? That is the cheat. That is the cheapest yeah, thing I've ever heard. Oh, of course. What utopian society you're living in where, where anyone does anything with 100% integrity? Th- like, so like, that's like, exactly what you're saying. That's why I'm saying we should quit the photos. We should quit the photos because you're trying to tell me that that 18 and 19 year old is, it's just life. This is real. This is genuine. I'm just saying we're sharing the gospel with the most full integrity and faithfulness of the mission itself. And I'm saying I don't have enough faith in humanity to say that that's actually what they're doing and that that's what's being then shared from a narrative perspective with those people who follow them. But it's like saying like, let's just sit like, 
dude, <laughs> to me, I'm like, man, we're maybe hitting on some like, uh, how do I put it? Like American cultural struggles. Cause I just feel like you right now are like, let's just sit in the poop on it and ignore anything good. And I'm like, that's not true though. Cause I like there's say, good we should things, never engage man. In work. We can celebrate good things. Right. It's good to celebrate good things. Right. That's I'm I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate good things. But there's there's healthier and more there there's healthier more responsible ways to celebrate good things. And, and I I believe that well I will agree with you that people may be posting pictures for not 100% altruistic reasons, right? But I have witnessed it in my own life of how it has led to other people becoming part of a greater thing. We post some pictures and maybe Jen and I do a better job of putting a, the, the caption underneath of what we're actually doing, right? Hey, here's some longtime friends of ours who we have totally got to know through a, a Peruvian partnership and in no way have, you know, paternalistically told them what to do, you know. Jen's friend or our friends, they over the years have something like, man, we'd really like to, we'd really like to maybe get in on that. We're going to have you over for dinner. We'd like to hear more about your trip because we'd like to maybe come with you. But if they hadn't seen the pictures, they wouldn't know. Yeah. But what you just said, Tom, is exactly what I just, is, is the point that I've been making that it wasn't just like a random photo, right? You, you were doing, you did the appropriate and respectable legwork of explaining the situation. This is a shift, and I'm not just talking out the side of my mouth. This is a shift we literally made at Bridge City and that I am intentional about in when I take pictures and send and tell stories about the work that we're doing in South Chattanooga is that it takes the legwork and the responsibility to then say, here's not just a photo with the tagline of serving lunch in Ghana, right? or like building a house in Mexico, right? That leaves the interpretive onus on whoever's actually viewing the photo. But being responsible about saying, here's the story that's associated with it that not only gives respect to the individual that we're working with or the community that we're working with, but then demonstrates a clear history of mutual care and mutual solidarity and mutual work for the sake of the gospel, right? So then, then to your point, people hear that story and they say, oh, that's responsible, that's respectable, that seems like a truly missional work, right? So I want to be part of that. Not, oh, I see the Sarah McLaughlin ad with a dog that's got one eye, right, and I'm right, gonna send right, 50 right. bucks. That's what yeah, I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. That's fair. Actually, I think you're right. I just think like, how do I put it? Like, I think it's like just so easy to dunk on stuff. Like it just is easy to deconstruct stuff. And it's really hard to reconstruct stuff. And I think it's like, I look at, I mean, so like Tom is referencing like our mutual friends, Felix and Erica, who are like, these are like our people. Like we work with them, like hang out with them. Like we comment each other's photos on Facebook, whatever. Right. And like, there's just zero paternalism there. Or like the pastor we work with in Costa Rica, like he is, like legit a mentor of mine. Like, I'm not trying to sound like fashionable. Like he's one of the best pastors I know, you know? And so like, but to me, if I took a picture of that for this example, I'm like, yo, this is pastor Alberto. 
like this dude has shaped me in profound ways. Like I'm not being paternalistic. Like I'm with this dude who legitimately shaped me in profound ways, but part of it was a short-term mission trip. And that's how I met him. And we painted their school and we visited their yeah. rehab centers, right, you know? Right. That, see, and that's something to be celebrated. But the way that you, like, do you hear the way that you said that? It, that like, you but said, I guess this is, is the thing this is, is like, so-and-so who. It's like, so, like, it's bougie for me in a way. It's bougie for me to be able to say that because I'm theologically educated. I'm missiologically educated and I sit in a seat of power. But for like random housewife from Ann Arbor, Michigan, who joins me on this mission trip and is excited about these new friends she's met in Costa Rica, like new friends she's met in Costa Rica and the work she's done. She's not like trying to like dunk on them and be like, look at these poor slobs. She's like, dude, wow. I didn't know this was going on. This is amazing to me. Like for us to sit here and be like, well, actually that's paternalistic. It's like a whole nother form of paternalism. Yeah, but see, here's the thing, and I think this is this is where we are just going to have to differ, which is like, I offered a concrete solution to to reconstructing, and it wasn't sufficient. Like, if I can say, hey, what would be the big deal about deconstructing the possibility of unintentionally perpetuating a narrative by just simply saying, hey, guys, for two weeks... We're not going to take a picture of this because if they're truly friends, right? Like, do I take pictures of all my damn friends in Chattanooga every single day, every time I meet up with them? Like, no, I don't. There's a human element in that I'm encountering a new culture. Like, I'm going to be like, pretend this is exciting for something. I'm not saying pretend it's not exciting. I'm just saying, why can't we keep some things when it comes to relationships even new ones in I get foreign that. places. Yeah, yeah. Why can't we keep them internal? Like that's yeah. and and to that's me fair. that's a reconstructive act. It's why not just, would you want? Why would you want to keep that to yourself? Because because you want to keep it. This is this to me is the heart of the issue. This is where responsibility comes in. Looking at a historical precedent that we that we have inherited. We didn't set, but we inherited it, right? To me, we have to be responsible in some ways to say that even with the best intentions and the 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 honest relationships that that those members of yours have, like the new friends they made, right, Gabe? Yeah, right. Right, genuinely, genuine relationships, right? That those those genuine relationships can be exploited or they can be misinterpreted, right? And so, if if we're going to say that that's possible for the sake of the gospel then we want to do nothing to put a stumbling block in the sake. And guess what happens? There are people that I know who literally will refuse to listen to the message of Jesus Christ because all they get caught up on is people coming as evangelists and missionaries into their communities. So So maybe we just need to consider the fact that we could be, we could be more careful and we could be more responsible in trying to mitigate those hurdles and those stumbling blocks instead of saying, well, it's humanity. This is stories. This is life. It's our right. It's our privilege. You know what I mean? Like First perhaps of all, never said of, right or privilege. Well, I know that, but I'm just saying like, perhaps we could lay down what we may internally perceive as a right, sounds, a privilege, a, a desire. What, it sounds like what you're asking is like, Hey, go on that mission. But when you come back, don't tell anybody. No, unless you, no, 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 no. 
No, let me finish it. Unless you do it in a really old school way, do not use technology. Use a typewriter and write them a letter. Dearest Joshua, went on a mission trip. Let no, me you tell you about it. anything I just said. I said yes, in the did. moment while we're building a hut, painting a wall, serving lunch, don't snap that photo with your red bandana and your cargo pants on with that, kid, with that brown or black kid around your shoulder. Come back and do what you just said a few minutes ago. Say, hey, I had this incredibly genuine encounter. Where and you it, can't, Josh, you are into graphics. You can't tell a story without pictures. Who are, who, who are you trying to recruit, Tom? Like, that's what I want to know. That 19-year-old, Gabe, in your church, are those 19-year-olds coming back, and they're the ones who are recruiting the next 30 people to go on that mission trip? Yeah. Based, based, based on that photo or based on them coming back and sharing the personal encounters and stories that right. they had I mean, when they were there. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Like, there is definitely, at a local context, there's more impact in this story being told in community, right, versus a post. Which is, which is how the church has always functioned, right? We tell the story within community. But the struggle, I mean, honestly, there, there is like a weird technological angle to this is to be like, what does community mean right now? And sure. especially Lord right now in the midst of the pandemic, like, what does that mean? Right. Um, and that, that's fair. That's fair. So, yeah. But I mean, I like, mean, Josh, I, I think your critique's fair. I, I think it's fair. I just think it's like. this. this oh, I think it's fair in terms of like. Let's just not snap a picture and just quickly post it and then keep moving on because you can just kind of just keep showing what you're doing, what you're doing. But like, if you can be thoughtful, take pictures while you can that are meaningful and then do a thoughtful post later that maybe explains the context, then yes, I agree with you. Um, I disagree when, when your subtext is, I'm just grabbing this brown kid to put on my shoulder to show that I'm, look at me. Like, I don't think anybody that I've ever brought down is thinking that way mm -hmm. like anyone and ever? i guess she i can tell you countless people who are cradling babies at or at babies homes and orphanages in uganda who are taking selfies being like look at these poor kids aren't they? it's so glad that i'm here to rock them because otherwise they'd be laying in a crib for 12 hours a day josh that, we're not that, all from california all right in the midwest <laughs> we actually aren't shallow pos's okay? oh, we man. actually have some depth of character oh, the west coast coming back to bite me again I mean, I, mean, I, I mean, I get that. It, like, there's, there's, and I think this actually maybe leads us into the next point. But like, I get, I get that there's a difference about like, look, this kid would just be, I, I'm holding this kid, and he would just be sitting in that in that crib without any human touch for 12 hours if I wasn't here, which it may be fundamentally true. That actually raises a really interesting philosophical question that we've talked about not pertaining to this issue, right? About like, if a tree in the forest falls, does anyone know it falls without actually witnessing it fall? But, so if that if that woman, or man for that matter, if if the individual goes to Romania and rocks that baby, th this I think is the crux in my mind that I'm having a hard time wrestling with, right? If I go to, and, and actually, let me pull this, let me pull in a biblical story um, that when... Um, Jesus is talking about fasting, right? And he says, like, go, you know, grease up your hair, put the oil in the beard, make yourself look good, do the things. like Take a shower, Josh. Take a shower. I mean, if there's one piece of scripture that I need to hear and be convicted by, it is that to actually shower. I admit to these guys, I hate showering. It's a nuisance to me. My family doesn't appreciate it, but whatever. I'm free. I'm young and I'm, well, I'm not really young anymore, but I'm You're free. not young. I'm not young. I'm not young Do you guys ever realize how old we are now? We are Gosh. getting old. I mean, Tom's already pushing 60, but 
I mean, retiring you, next year. Wow, Good that's. Lord. But anyway, do do it in secret, right? So that the father the father will see you do it. So like part of me and and like I said, this is might be the crux of what I'm wrestling with is if I can go to Romania and there's a a kid, an infant that is going to spend 16 hours in that cradle and I can pick it up, boy or girl, and rock it for three hours. And I never take there's there's no documentary evidence either on social media or whatever of this thing. Was it less efficacious in terms of the the love of the kingdom? Like no, no, it yeah, wasn't. Right. But, you know so what Josh, I mean? And it still like, served a great purpose. And for me, I'm still gonna come back and I'm still gonna share the story and tell people this is something that needs to happen because this kid yeah. is suffering. And so therefore I should step up and actually help alleviate the suffering if I can. Yeah. But there's no what what it does is it absconds me from any like impropriety like any sense of impropriety, any sense of personal gain. I'm just simply doing it because it needs to be done. And and sort of. I, I'll, I'll just reshare sort of. my story of like the fact that we posted some pictures got Rachel and Ed to really seriously think about about going on short-term missions and Rachel ended up going with us and it started with her being aware of the fact that we did this. I was like oh my gosh, I love kids too. That looks like something, I've been meaning to do something more meaningful in my life. Let me talk to you more about that. And I, I truly believe that even the 19-year-old who posts those pictures, I've seen it happen with our counselors at Camp Luther. Gabe, you should be able to back me up on this. Yes. That we have some counselors who post those pictures. And then what do you know? They've, they've got three friends coming with us next year. And so, yeah, I think... But they I told, think they told somebody so, that a tree fell in the forest. Like I think there's way. I think there's like there is a both and like here and and there's on many levels. So like one, I think there is a way in which social media can maybe be helpful, etc. But and I also, think, I also think Josh is yeah absolutely definitely like that. And I guess to me maybe the thing is like that's obvious, like. Right, we're but, not dealing. We're we're not. I mean, to be very fair to the conversation, we're not dealing in the time where like literally we had to carry video cameras and then like come home and project the videos or to like yeah. print out at Walgreens the photographs that we took. Right. Like you didn't know what was happening until you printed them off. Right. So like, given yeah. yes, it is a different technological time. But but to Josh's point about the intrinsic, like you just do it because it's like this is what you do, and like this baby won't be rocked unless you're there. Like that, that may very well be the case. And yet, like my pushback to you, Josh, would be like, I think, like, I think you're right. Like you should rock this baby and not post about it. Like just do it. Cause like, that's what you do. Like shut up and do good things. Right. And yet it's not like posting is, is inherently self-righteous. And it's not like not posting is not inherently self-righteous. Sure. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, like fair. you can go and rock that baby in Romania and be the most self-righteous douche in so, the entire world. Right. right. So yeah. then, it, then it falls on. And, you know, you talked about other examples, but like when we go down, we train our individuals and to be fair, Josh, we do talk about like, look, do we don't need to be snapping pictures all the time. If there, if you built a meaningful relationship with somebody and you ask them, Hey, can we take a picture together? And then let's do that. Right. Right. Then there are meaningful times to take pictures and there are meaningful times to keep it in your pocket. And I think that becomes a training issue and it becomes a, Hey, and when you go home, do this. Right. Yeah. So, okay. I think this also leads us into something that this article talked a little bit about. And Josh, you and I talked about this a little bit 
of when we talk about like, oh, I'm going and rocking this baby. And if I wasn't there, this baby would just be sitting in there, right? Or would be sitting in the in the crib and, you know, so look at me, I've, I've done so, so much good. One of the things we talked about is like, our ability to impact overseas versus here. So when this mm. Ivan Illich t- says, just stay home and do this thing. Last year, we went to Peru and we brought down $2,500 and we asked them, we did it all the right way. How can we bless this community? How can we come alongside of you? Things like that. And they said, we have a bunch of people in our community who are ri- you know, riding the worst wheelchairs possible and we saw them. I mean, these were like in all those post-apocalyptic video games that you play and you go into like the scary hospital and there's like the rusted out, you know, three-wheeled wheelchair. That's what those people were using, right? We took down $2,500. We were able to purchase and put together 53 wheelchairs. I could buy three of them in Minneapolis. So the efficiency of my dollar and my ability to help people in the kingdom of God is much greater when I go to Peru than it is here. And so, so where does that, where does that? Yeah, I think that's a, that's an interesting thing. Cause that, that actually goes back to Josh's point of like better how, right? Like that's a big deal. Like mm-hmm. in, in particular in terms of humanitarian things, because in terms of the gospel, it's like, to me, it's a no brainer. Like if you know Jesus better, if you don't know Jesus worse. Okay. Right. Yeah. But frankly, with the exception of a few areas in the 1040 window, a lot of the world is evangelized or has Christian congregations that are native to that culture that can evangelize. I mean, the global South is quickly becoming the actual Kind of like well, the global south is is, is the, the yeah, hub right, of Christianity right, right yeah, now, yeah. without a doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the the largest Lutheran denominate Lutheran congregation or uh, what the Lutheran denomination in the world is in Ethiopia. You know, I mean, like like significantly the largest mm-hmm. one is right, and and so yeah, so pretending that we're like some sort of heroes as far as the gospel goes is is a bit ignorant, and yet there are areas that are unreached, and so to me, it's like straight up gospel there seems to be a clear need there, Sentinel. but most of us, like, it's not like Costa Rica doesn't have a ton of Christian churches. They do. Right. Right. So, so it does kind of boil down in many ways to humanitarian things. And, and so Tom, you, you raise an interesting point because it's like better how, and in one sense, it seems obvious, like, Hey, 2,500 bucks here ends up producing way more of an impact in the developing world versus 2,500 bucks in Minneapolis. Yep. That's not even a month's rent probably. Right. Right. And so then it's like, okay, that, I mean, that is an interesting question. Cause I mean, like this is super random, but like I have a friend of mine who is like going off on Instagram talking about how immoral Jeff Bezos is because he's this multi-billionaire and there's people in you name the country that are starving right now. And like, yes, true. And I was like, but the logistics of him being like, here's a billion dollars to your country, when that's 10 times the GDP of the entire country is actually not that easy of a problem to solve. Like, now, do I think Jeff Bezos should be a million times more generous than he is? 
Yes, absolutely. Do I think he's immoral because he isn't? Yes, absolutely. But do I think him giving away his billions of dollars is actually an easy thing to do in our world? No. No, like, yes, yeah, yeah because you, of logistics. I mean, it could easily. I mean, you're. I mean, and, and I think that perhaps a way to 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 sort of wrap up. I mean, I don't want to say this this wraps everything up because it's a cheap and it's an easy way to get out of this. But I think that like, and you highlighted this earlier, Gabe, the simuliosis epicator, right? Like, there are going to be ways that we are acting righteously, but because we're always a hundred percent sinner as well, like we're just going to jack things up. Like, humans yep. are going to screw things up. And so, yeah, if Jeff Bezos decided to give a million dollars to Guyana, like, that's – that it could be embezzled, right? It could be, like, just completely wasted, and there could still be the same level of hunger or poverty or whatever. Yep. And so I think that that's why, like, we should pay attention in one sense as God's people and as the church, whether it's long-term missionaries, short-term missionaries, or just being neighbors, right? Yep. Is to say, and, and, and I'm going to use the term responsible again, but not responsible in the sense of the baggage, right? But we need to be responsible and also like tactile in how we go about not only sharing the good news of the gospel, but then also sharing our resources in a way that's not just going to kind of feed into the the corruption of human sin. You know what I mean? Right. Is there a way that we can go about this in a way that's full of integrity and full of honesty in with the best like Jesus loving intentions possible while also trying to maintain the the mutual respect of those that we're willing to help as well. Yep. Yeah, it, there's there's a lot of books out there that that you can read about that. There's a lot of people you can go and talk to about that. And this is where I will argue that that we we are incrementally getting better. It's not perfect. And I think you pointed out as as sinful beings, we're gonna screw this up. Just like I mean, we could have this exact same argument about going and meeting new people at the bar downtown and screwing up like oh my gosh, this dude just came up and wanted to play pool with us and, you know, wanted to show us these cool pool tricks. And I'd like, get out of here, man. We don't, we need to do that. But there's a better way to do that. Like, hey guys, could I buy you around and maybe like join your game, your game? Like there's a better way to do it. And so this is all, this is what we're asking is yep. as we go into missions, long-term or short-term to really think about the impact that we're having to go about it in, in a way of partnership and a way of love. Yes. Is there anything else? And I think that idea of partnership is so huge. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, especially as like, I mean, here's the facts. The global South is where Christianity is now. The majority of Christians are in the global South. And to say like, we are not actually in the seat of power. Recognize that just because you have money doesn't mean you have power. Uh, and to say, how do we learn from our brothers and sisters in X, Y, and Z? How do we not go in as paternalistic jerks and enter graciously? Yeah, that's um, it. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, in a sense, it's for, for the first time in a long time, being willing to be humble in the most biblical way possible, right? To go into, and like you said, with that pastor who's, who's been your mentor and who actually has been formative in your life, yep. you know, perhaps the posture, perhaps that's the posture that, we need to take on as missionaries, right? Yep. Is 
collaborators in the gospel, not givers of the gospel, or partners in the, the mission of the kingdom, not kind of directors of the mission. And if we go in in that way, then yeah, I think there is a genuine thing that we can learn from each other and truly be mutually edified so that perhaps maybe there's something we bring back from the global South that can impact our own communities here as well. I, For sure. I mean, that is a huge part of the training that we do. It's part of the training that I learned how to do. And this is what I'm, I continue to get at is like, I do believe this is being preached is like understanding that this isn't just us going down there and doing a thing and having an impact on them, that this is a 50, 50 proposition, maybe even more so in our way, uh, you know, back to us, that there's a lot of learning that we can do a lot of understanding and a lot of realization so that when we come back, it's not like, Oh man, I feel so good for about all the good things that we did. Like, Holy crap, there are genuine real people down there and going through the same things that we are and we can, and, and we can be in relationship together because of it. Wait, wait a second, Tom. Are you saying that there are Christians outside of Ann Arbor, Crystal, Minnesota, and Chattanooga, Tennessee? Very few, and we really need what? to do more. But yes, there are. What? But yes. how do they do it without Donald Trump defending Christian liberty? <laughs> March 4th. How could you possibly be a Christian unless there's religious liberty? Oh, boy. Wow. And you know what? Very folks, quietly. Gabe, yeah. And Gabe has descended. Freaking he, A, man. He Sorry, is I'm going to like, yep, I'm going to go off. We he is going to go this. off. Yes, he is I going to pull a, Do you guys ever get that? Like, oh, my gosh. He it is going to pull a so job. Like, how can you be a Christian unless we have religious liberty? I don't know. Look at the first 300 years. They did pretty great. You know no, what? No, they no. did a lot of hey, you know what they did? They did a lot of evangelism and they were missiologists through and yeah. through. So, you know what, yeah. Gabe, thank you so much for for wrapping a nice little bow Golly. on our conversation. Hey, one thing I will note, um, because I'm sure that you guys will have I, comments. I have to bake a cake. Sorry, go on. Cake is go delicious. On. I think we can all agree on that. We gotta wrap up. Okay, just, listen. Six one two two zero eight six two five eight. If you have comments or questions about the discussion, the arguing, the tension that perhaps you felt, but also text us if you want a PDF of this Ivan Illich article. We'd be happy to share, uh, you know, the chaos, the seeds of chaos that we like to sow with one another. And so once again, six, wait, six zero, wait. Six one two, six two zero eight, six two five eight. Sorry, Jenny, the, the Arizona area code is six zero two. Sometimes I get it confused. All right. We're glad it's Minneapolis you is 612. Okay, well, thank you for that clarification. We yep. know that literally these episodes are torturous to all of you listeners, but we're so glad that you are so sadistic and sadomasochistic that you enjoy suffering along with us. So, 612-208-6258. Hey, guess what? Go tell someone about Jesus. Tell them do about it on Jesus. Instagram. Do it on Instagram. Post it so we can see it. Post it on the Twitter. I want to see it on the Facebook. We love you all. Get out of here.